A quick content warning for this episode. We do broadly discuss abuse, uh, particularly child abuse. Yeah, and we we don't get into um, nitty gritty, but it's just important to be aware of. Yeah, if you've read the book, it's very much in line with what you'd expect from the discussion, but we just want to put it out there. Um, If that is something that you would not like to hear, you should probably not listen to this episode because it does occur throughout. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Tahanu by Ursula K. Le Guin. The roar of a dragon's wings. I didn't know that wings <laughs> roared. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, as they go through the air, the you know. Whoosh. Roar! Okay, the roar of a dragon's wings. <laughs> Official sound effect for this episode. You're welcome. This is the fourth book in the Earthsea series. It was published in 1990, um, 18 years after the previous book, The Furthest Shore. Farthest Shore. Did we do A Wizard of Earthsea? Is that so, the only one we didn't do? Yes. Okay. In true dragon baby fashion, <laughs> we're doing it our way. Yeah. We do have episodes on the tombs of Etuan and the farthest shore. We have never covered A Wizard of Earthsea. Maybe we will at some point. Um, I, I actually read that one a long time ago. It's the only one of these that I've read prior when to... When you were young. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so definitely check those out. Um, this book is very unique. It's distinct. It's different from the other Earthsea books, but I would argue that every book in this series is pretty, um, exists independent of what the others are saying and the way they're structured. Yeah. They, they all have very unique tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do. And concern very different, People and concepts and places. Yeah. Um, so here we are revisiting uh, Tanar, one of the main characters of the Tombs of Atuan, who we did not hear from in the Farthest Shore. And the events of the book pick up immediately after the end of the Farthest Shore, although there was a long period of time in between their writing. Yeah. Many listeners have requested that we continue our Earthsea coverage, and we thank you so much. We appreciate your enthusiasm for the magnificent Ursula Le Guin and all her work and our humble attempts to discuss it. (laughs) We had to take a pause after reading this book before recording because we were so overcome by it. We both cried. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When we had initially planned to record, we were too emotional to continue. Um, So that's going to just set the tone for what's ahead. Yeah. We're we're calmer now, but (laughs) this book evoked very strong feelings and thoughts in us. So we'll attempt to articulate those today. Come along with us. The copy of this book that I have from my youth is the uh, Simon Pulse edition. Um, I think it's Simon & Schuster, like YA imprint. This edition is from September 2001, and it's missing the afterword that is present in the audiobook, um, which I found very valuable. It's written by Ursula Kayla Gwynn. 
um, and sort of breaks down some of the book's reception, mm-hmm. um, which I think is important to know about when you're discussing this book. We'll talk about it too. Yeah. But if you're reading an older edition, just try to seek out that afterward. I couldn't find it in writing anywhere, but it is at the end of the audiobook that's on Audible yeah. and Scribdy. Scribbed. Still don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it, and I refuse to learn. <laughs> I absolutely love this edition. Um, it has a gorgeous watercolor painting of Tanar sheltering through under her arm below a, an absolutely magnificent billowing emerald cape that yeah. I don't know was in the book. Yeah. <laughs> so when I looked at it, I was like, whoa, like, wow, Tanar's outfit is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of discussion of that. <laughs> And the dragon, Kalesin, is uh, roaring down, <laughs> to quote Roaring Ron. wings. <laughs> roaring wings surrounding them. Um, and it's a really cool dragon. It is lovingly rendered yeah. in scarlet hues. Um, and then there's a little crack of sky up above them. Um, and we get the uh, author's name and the name of the book in large font, Tahanu. The original subtitle of the book was the last book of Earthsea. Hmm. And then Ursula Le Guin was like, never mind. <laughs> I have more to say. <laughs> but I appreciate that she, you know, maybe was trying to make herself move on, yeah. kind of tying herself to it and saying like, okay, I put it in the title. <laughs> I have to stop now. Yeah. Um, but she went on to write Tales from Earthsea and then The Other Wind. Hmm. Um, Tales from Earthsea is a collection of stories and then The Other Wind is a about the dragons and more about the Rue slash Tahanu. Cool. Um, everybody has multiple names in these books, so we'll do our best to be consistent with which name we pick for the discussion <laughs> so that things don't get too confusing. Which names are we picking? <laughs> which ones are they? We'll find out. For those who haven't read the book or haven't visited it in a while, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. We're about to start. So if you haven't picked this up yet or for a few years, um, we'd encourage you to check it out. This is, it's a heavier read compared to a lot of what we've covered in the last year. We've been trying to aim for quarantine reads, um, things that might, you know, be a little more fun, lift your spirits, um, be quick and easy. Um, and this isn't what I'd call an easy read, but I'd also call it an important read. And extremely and, rewarding. And I couldn't stop reading it. I mean, yeah. it is, even though it is a difficult read, it is also a page turner. Yeah. So go check it out. And with that, Madeline, would you like to walk us through a plot summary? Yes, of I Tahanu? would. So we open on... Gohar, who is Tanar and Aha. And <laughs> remember when we said we were going to pick a name? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to refer to her as Tanar. Tanar. Um, I'm mostly going to use actual names, except for Ogian's. I can't remember his. True names. Yeah, true names. Tanar has spent the last 20 ish years. At one point, she said it was 25 years since she last like saw Ged. Mm-hmm. Um, She's spent about the last 20 years uh, seeking to find her purpose, I think is a good way to put it. And uh, after she 
came from the tombs of Atuan to uh, this new land with Ged. We, it doesn't happen in this book, but the history is that she studied for a while, not very long, doesn't sound like, with Okeon. Who uh, was also Ged's teacher. Yes. At, at some point, she decided that she was going to, like I said, try to find herself by um, engaging in what she thought was the, the sort of life script mm-hmm. that a woman uh, should do in order to be happy. She does it. She has two children with Flint, um, who was a successful farmer. And uh, when we when we actually open on her, this has all happened in the past. Yeah. This is stuff that we find out throughout the book as backstory. Um, but her children have left, her daughter and her son. She doesn't even know where her son is. He's a sailor. Um, her husband has recently died. Um, so now she is Flint's widow. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the very beginning of the book, she is called by one of her neighbors, Lark, um, kind of busts into her house and it's like something bad. There's a burned child. Something bad happened. Um, Tanar goes to help and she finds out that the child is very badly burned, was pushed into a fire, um, was abused in every way uh, by the people, the small pod of like bandits that she was mm-hmm. living with. Um, and they push her into the fire, which is why she's so badly burned. And they have left. They've left. Yeah. yeah they've just left her. Um, one man does bring her like into the town, just kind of being like, well, here. He doesn't even bring her into the town. He just goes to Lark. Does he just Lark find Lark? And okay. says, there's a child who's been burned. And then Theru is still laying in the fire. Cool. Okay. Um, yikes. And so uh, Tanar gets her, um, names her Theru. Which means it has something to do with flame. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's from uh, it's in Kargish, right? Is which is her her language because she Tanar's is a language. foreigner in Gaunt. Yeah. Um, so uh, everyone is is basically like we don't want anything to do with this burned little girl. Um, a lot of people suggest or imply that she should have just died um, because like she can't have any kind of good life or anything and Tanara also struggles with that throughout the book like and trying- she wants to be able to heal her and yes. feels her own like lack of power and there that this is getting ahead of myself but I just want to point out this undercurrent throughout the book where at first it, it's also like a, a pretty lovely tale about accepting someone's disability as like part of them Mm -hmm. and not like not insisting that they need to be fixed uh when it's especially when it's like not possible so you you know you just want to focus on having a fulfilling life as as they are Mm -hmm. um which is lovely but yeah at at first tanar does struggle a lot with like what how can i help her like mm-hmm. how can i fix her like she's had all of these horrible things done to her they're permanently imprinted on her body for everyone to see and hate and fear her that this has happened to her people are also afraid of through including uh there is a witch in town in addition well there's a few witches in town yeah ivy is the main one right and moss is 
kind of more of a wild card. Yeah, and Moss lives in Ray Alpi. Oh, right, right. So there's Moss lives near Ogion's house, which is apart from uh, Tanar's farm. Mm-hmm. Tanar takes the room to Ogion's because, because a messenger comes. Because a messenger comes and says, "Hey, Ogion's dying." Uh, Tanar hasn't seen Ogyan in a while. Um, and so she takes through there. Uh, she, she actually, they actually don't even say anything about what's happening. They just say, Ogyan wants you. Oh, she has okay. no idea what. So when she on. gets there, it becomes evident that he is dying. Um, and she nurses him. Uh, she talks to him. He's he's pretty feverish. Um, so like what he's saying is kind of disjointed. Uh, but like literally as he's dying, he insinuates that Theru needs to be taught um, and not a lot else. He says like not Roke. He says, teach her all, not Roke, all is changing. Yes. And those are the important bits. Tanar spends a lot of time trying to figure out what the heck he meant by that in the book uh, because then he just dies. (laughs) Come on. Explain anything else. Be more clear. Yeah. um, And before he, uh, like right before he passes, he tells Tanar his true name. And that makes the other villagers resent her, of course, because like, who is she? This, Mm -hmm. This person that came from afar and she's a woman and the powerful mage told her his true name. Um, and she also protects her history. Um, she doesn't necessarily want everyone to know that she's the one who brought back the ring of Aerith Akbi. Because she wants to live a quote-unquote quote normal life. Right. Yeah. yeah. And she also knows that they're still not going to respect her. Um, yeah. There's really throughout the book, she is very aware of her role in this society as a middle-aged woman yeah. um, who's also a, a widow. Yeah. Um, she just approaches her interactions from that place, knowing that it's going to be hard to get anyone to like understand or put any stock in her yes okay so after ogian passes she she has kind of a a meeting with like another wizard that comes to uh, bury him he's super dismissive of uh tenar um they bury him and then she goes she ends up on the hillside Mm -hmm. she goes there like to think or something Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while she's up, I, I imagine it's, it's kind of like a high cliff with, you know, sweeping water down below, kind of like Scotland. Mm. Um, and then a dragon comes like this huge dragon, uh, like she sees it from far away and then it's close and she's like, it's a dragon. The dragon has Ged. The dragon deposits Ged and says, Kalesin? Is he the one that says that? Yeah. Um, and then he leaves. And Tanar, I really love, there's this moment of her being like, I can't carry him. Like, he's too big. And, um, so she, she like, pushes Ged's prone body away from the cliff edge because she's worried that he could wake up and just, like, just fall right over. Um she uh, runs into town. She gets some help. She drags Ged um, to Ogion's. Ged is convalescing. Remember, this is right after he defeated the evil in the last book, and it took away his magic because he died, and the way that he brought himself and 
his uh, bud back, who is the king, <laughs> was by giving up his magic. Okay, so Ged is at Ogion's. Um, Tanar is, is trying to, like, she's, she's helping heal him and she's being supportive of him. And Ged is kind of moping around and he's just like, I'm not a, you know, he's, his pride is really injured because he put all of his self-worth on his wizardry. Let's put it that way. And now that his wizardry is gone, he feels like he has no power, no agency. And uh, he's really struggling with that after losing all of his power and agency as he sees it. Mm-hmm. So he then leaves. He's like, I'll go find some like migrant seasonal work. And he's just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after that, Tanar sees Handy. Handy is the man that and she sees him in town. Handy is the man who uh, alerted Lark about the Rue. And so Tanar's afraid of him. She she doesn't know if he's through his father or and you he know. did notice them coming into town in yeah. the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, they're on his radar, and she goes uh, she goes looking for him because she's trying to find out why he's around. She's worried that he's going to try and hurt or even take through from her, who is um, underdeveloped but trying to find her own way. She has. Um, some friends among other like what quote unquote damaged people uh, and uh, other women are like, you know, people are afraid of her for the most part, but there's few people who are willing to treat her like she's a human. And it seems like in coming to Ogion's house, she has been able to feel a little more comfortable around other people too. Yeah. Yeah. So while Tanar is looking for Handy, she ends up um, in like near the Lord's holdings mm-hmm. where his migrant workers are. I think they're mowing, they're threshing the grain or something. Um, and she asks them like, hey, people told me that Handy is here. Like, does anyone know where he is or about him? And they like are kind of helpful. Like they're not mm-hmm. completely mistrustful of her. But then as she's leaving um, this Horrible, horrible, disgusting person. Um, I don't remember any of his names. I don't Aspen. care. Aspen. Aspen, yeah. Yeah, because then he puts a curse on Tanar and she's not able to remember his name, so we lose it. <laughs> That's why I can't remember she's his name. She's always calling him by the Kargish word for a different type of tree. Because she's like close, but oh, she can only do just, it in a different language. That's and she just can't great remember writing. what type of tree he is. <laughs> That's just great writing. Um, Yeah. So he puts like a curse on her and is like, go away. I don't like you. I don't like women. I don't like you. I don't like your child. I'm the power. Yeah. And he says some awful things about how um, like they, he, she should have let those men finish their work and killed through and she's disgusted. And we're she should disgusted. die too. Like yeah. it's just, it's real wild. This rant that he goes on, he's not holding back. Yeah. Aspen is like 
hate personified. He's horrifying. But before he can actually cast anything on her, some of the king's men show up. Mm -hmm. We didn't mention yet, but they're in town trying to find Ged. They're looking for Ged, yeah. Because because Ged quit as Archmage. Just took off. And they're not even trying to force him back into the role, but the king who he just did this whole journey with in the farthest shore, which, you know, since there's no time gap between the events of the two books, it feels like he, you know, saved the king from hell, from like the land of the dying. I'm sorry, it's yeah. not hell, but the world of the dead. And then just like got on a dragon and took off. Yep. And the king is like, um, wait, yeah, <laughs> we have some things to talk about. Yeah. And the king wants and him. And he wants him to coronate him. Yes. He wants him to be at mm-hmm. his coronation and to actually do the coronating. Um, Ged doesn't want that. He hides from them. And then he's he's already left like... Tanar tells them, like, sorry, <laughs> you know, I can't betray my friend. And, like, he clearly doesn't want anything to do with this anyways. Yeah, so. she told him to go find shepherd work at her old town. Yes. Um, so hmm. at some point, I think then after, like, she, then she does get then cursed. Then she does get cursed She by uh, Aspen. Um, she realizes what's happening, and so she flees with Theru away from, like, she goes to the big city, um, and she doesn't even really know what she's doing. Like, she's just trying to get away. And then in the big city, Handy is there. And this he's, dude. Yeah, and he's chasing them. And she's, It's really scary. Yes. I was very scared. I was really scared yeah. for Theru. Yeah. Um, yeah, this book really makes you nervous the whole time for Theroux. Like mm-hmm. you're always you you really feel Tanar's fear and like urges to protect her. Yeah, and then also her kind of self hatred that she can't fully protect her because she yeah. promises her that Handy will never touch her again. And then she and does, he does. He does touch her, and yeah. her skin bruises, yeah. even though he like it was just a light barely t- touched her, which I think is a really good mm-hmm. metaphor for trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so she literally like, she runs out onto the docks. She's running from Handy with, um, the Rue and they're, they're so scared. And then suddenly they, they literally run into the King's ship. Yeah. And uh, so the King brings them aboard. But Tanar looks up and thinks the King is her son because she is so scared and confused. And And she just sees a young man who's on the docks. Who's there. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they get on the king's ship. Yes. They get on the king's ship and Handy goes away. Um, yeah, and just kind of slips, yeah. sculpts off. Uh, so uh, Tanar and Thru end up, you know, just with the king for a while. The boat is called the Dolphin. Um, Thru has a collection of little figurines in a bag that are her treasures. I feel a deep kinship know, with Theru over that. Little Madeline. Yeah, I, I love, I continue to love like talismanic objects. My home is full of like little figurines and, you know, little tchotchkes and crystal type stuff, you know, all that. I love it. And uh, while Theru is on the ship called the Dolphin, someone gives her, um, I think it's like an ivory carving mm-hmm. of a dolphin. Mm-hmm. And she's, relived her trauma she's she's messed up she's kind of drawn back into herself and is frightened um but the the bruises 
where Handy touched her get healed by the king? What happens? Like someone else touches her or like helps her and she says like, now the bruises are gone because like she feels better. I don't remember. Okay. It's it's, sure. it's kind of a little aside. I think that's after they get to have Nora. When she goes back to her farm. Yeah. I okay. Think. How is, oh, it's Ged, isn't it? You're right. Yeah. So it is after they've come yeah, back. later. How is the King's City pronounced? Is it Havnor? Havnor? I don't remember. Havnor. Okay. Because that's where the ship is going. That's why I was going to mention him. Right. So they, they go on the ship. He's he's going to take them home back to her farm. Uh, and or he's taking them to the to his city, to Havnor. I don't know how to pronounce it. And then they make the journey back to the From farm. From Havnor. Yeah. Okay. Um, they talk a lot. There's the king and Tanar and the... The mage who... Oh, yeah, the mage. Or no, he's like a wind master. And he's a jerk to Tanar. Um, but they also give her a little more information about what happened in the events of the farthest shore. Yes. And why magic has like been behaving a little strangely. She learns a little bit about Cobb, the um, antagonist of the previous book, and a little more about why. Um, there's this thread running throughout the book saying that like... There has been a lot of lawlessness and like dangerous people attacking others. And that's um, like how Fabru got into, well, I don't know. It's, uh, we won't talk about that right now, but that's one of the reasons why there was this like group of bandits in town. And that's and, why Fabru was there. is like oppressing the land. Yes. Like it's and, there, in... and part of it is that there hasn't been a king and now a new one is about to be thrown. Right. There has been no state. Yes. It, it's just kind yeah. of. Um, it's is, a little bit like the Dark Ages. There is no structure yeah. of any kind. Yeah. Um, so people are excited that the king is is back, but they're also like, but and there's that he no seems mage. like a, he's going to be a good king. Yeah, but, he know, seems like a good like, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so wary of any like, hey, this political figure seems nice. Yeah. I bet they're going to save us all. <laughs> Jesus. We're, but um, we're way past that. But I, something that I do love, and I'll mention it now because I don't think we're really going to talk about it more in the summary, but he does, we get clear indications of like the rules that... Lebanon is putting in place. Yeah, like he's he's putting new like aldermen in place. He's rooting out corruption. Yeah, he is taxing the barons and the nobles in order to. And they don't like it. Hey, Rich surprise! People don't like to <laughs> They're be taxed. Not into it. <laughs> um, but he's finding ways to make it work. So it seems like he is actually going to be like fair, functional, and help the people. Yeah, like it, it is promising. Um, but they need an archmage to mm-hmm, they complete need an archmage. the, you know, it's like the the king in the parliament, sort right. of. Yeah. Um, and that's why they came to Gaunt. They thought that Ged would know something about what to do next. This is where the weather guy, mm-hmm. he's like... <laughs> the weather man. Yeah, they, they told us to look for a woman on Gaunt. Yeah. <laughs> infuriatingly like i literally so funny they were like so we looked for a man on (laughs) and then they're like and you can't possibly be the woman (laughs) and i've literally yelled like it's her it's tanar tanar is the woman well no they did say like well so maybe you can help us you're a woman maybe you you can help us find the woman on god they don't say like no they never think that she could be the next archmage no i know yeah yeah well and I also th- like 
it wasn't even necessarily like a woman on Gaunt will be the next Archmage, but she'll help us find right. the Archmage. That's why I was yeah. like, oh, it's Tanar mm-hmm. and um, Thru is the next Archmage. Mm-hmm. Like right away mm-hmm. when the weather guy said that, I was like... I love that you're calling him the weather guy. I'm pretty sure his title is Windmaster. <laughs> I, like, I like weather guy. Well, he's kind of a jerk, so mm-hmm. yeah you know, diminishing him. He's one of those like primary mages that met in the garden in the farthest shore where everything like fell apart. And that was when they realized that Cobb was destroying magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the wizards like the weatherman make me think of Emperor Ozorn's mages mm, yeah. um, from the Immortals series uh, because, like, very prideful and slick, mm-hmm. um, but maybe not great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very powerful, uh, but, you know, power without... Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. This is true. Um, power without empathy is just no good for anybody. So she she ends up back at home. And other power phrases. <laughs> She she ends up back at home at her farm uh, with Theroux. And there's a lot of work to be done. So she, she finds out... They've been gone for months yes. at this point. And, and she finds out that um, Ged is like sheep or goat herding. No one knows precisely somewhere in the mountains. So she's happy to hear that Ged didn't like go off and get himself killed. Yeah. Uh, and she's she's doing work around the farm. She she tries to start teaching through magic. She teaches her one word for stone. And uh, um, well, that happened before she got cursed. So then she felt like it was being turned back on her because stones were attacking her because of the curse. Okay, so yeah, that that happened. And when she comes back, she's trying to figure out what she's supposed to do yeah. for through. And she talks to um, the village witch, and she's like, "Would you take her as a pupil?" And the witch is like, "Nope, uh, I'm afraid of her." And so that's not helpful. Um, she uh, she has Ogion's books mm-hmm. um which she kind of clings to but by the end it's evident that they're actually like not that important as teaching tools yeah they're not that useful for her or through because they are like in a very patriarchal tradition like exactly. that's part of this whole magic system and that's something that tanar says about when she was with ogion when ged is talking to her about like why didn't you continue your education and and just go get married instead um and she says that there was really only one piece of what he was trying to teach her that resonated with her and that was learning the the true speech mm-hmm. um which is the dragon speech yes yeah uh and so that's what she is attempting to begin to teach the rue mm-hmm. um because that's what knowledge she retained yeah um but she also says like I know that I should be teaching her and we should be working on this. Like there's so much other stuff to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's more like that they're just settling back into life as it was. Yeah. Um, She, at one point she's like, should through become a weaver? And then she feels guilty. Like, am I just trying to hide her away? Like, will that be a fulfilling life for her? Um, And there is kind of a tension because Tanar thought that, um, having a family would be like would help her find herself and she's trying to be like well can through be happy if she can never have that and there's like that conflict of like does she need that to be happy do yeah. i need do that I, to be happy who am i yeah um 
she makes Theru a red dress. It's beautiful. I yeah, and like she she starts to see Theru for who she is. Mm-hmm. She starts to find all of her beautiful instead of looking at her and seeing that she needs to be fixed. Yes. Um, and uh, in uh, one of the biggest action beats in the book, um, she's home in the farm. Uh, um, On a cold, frozen night. Yeah, and through is uh, sleeping, and she hears men's voices outside, and we right away realize what's going on. It's um, the men who hurt through and some other guys, too, that they gathered up. Um, they are there to... Uh, rape and kill Tanar and steal through. Uh, like, so uh, Tanar has the, these like horrifying beats because she doesn't lock any of the doors because yeah. that was just the norm and it's like a big house because they they have a successful attached farm. to a working dairy, and, right? Um, yeah, and, and there's she's, so many entry points, and she's running around like locking the doors. This chapter is so terrifying. Yeah. It really brought out all of my yeah. It, it reminded me of, of personal fears. I've never played much of a Resident Evil game. I've mm. tried a few yeah. times. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> and it reminded me of that vibe of just like terror and yeah. you're just trying to like run the right way and like you don't know what to do. And like lock that shutter and that door. Right. And she's just kind of piecemeal like trying to close shutters and lock doors and then they become aware of her and they start calling like, let us in. We won't hurt you. <laughs> Which like... Okay. Every time I, I, this is more video game talk, but every time I'm in a video game and someone shouts like "stop" or like "come back" or "come out," we won't hurt you. I'm just like, <laughs> 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 because people don't say those things to me in real life. That's why video games no. make me think of them. Yeah. No. Um, so it, finally, and she's having all of this like fear and anger because she's like, why can't I do more? Like, why am I just frozen in fear? Um, like when she ran from Handy and the city, she's having flashbacks to that. And finally, she grabs a butcher knife and like as they are about to bust in, like she opens the door and she's like got her knife and looks like a great and powerful person. And then Ged like comes from the darkness and stabs one of them with a pitchfork, like in the chest. Um, And then the rest of them run away. So it's wonderful accidental teamwork between Ged and Tanar. Um, And I love it because it's a really, uh, this is Ged's like moment of like, taking his power back like he uh, now uh, breaks out of it and he's like oh like I don't have to be a wizard to like have autonomy and agency and like you know be able to take care of myself and other people yeah there's still echoes of it like when he's oh totally it's not totally gone when I was tracking them because he heard them muttering about going to Oak Farm Mm -hmm. um like I could have done it so easily. I could have marched if I were a mage, to the capital. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could have made fireworks that they'd never forget. <laughs> Just going kind of Gandalf with it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Go, going full Gandalf. Yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, he also sees that, like you said, 
there are other ways to move through the world. Yes, he's um, honestly learning things that a lot of women have to learn, which is another thing I kind of love about Ged's journey is like it he is put in in more of a f- traditionally female role mm-hmm. and he and Tanar are both trying to find their power mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like what what will give them agency and purpose mm-hmm. in the world that they have to live in so Ged returns and uh, um Theru's really happy that he's there and uh, uh, they have a prisoner, the one that Ged stabbed in the chest, but... They take him to Hypefuse so that Theru won't see him. Yeah, and then... And she stays asleep the entire time. So she's totally absent from experiencing that which is trauma a blessing mm-hmm. and in a in a lighter way this is another way that i identify with through because i have often slept through like you know people will be like did you hear that storm last night and i'll be like no <laughs> it was asleep ged and tanar are like deal with the guy yeah they they take him away and, and the others are captured the by others the rest are captured the people off screen Yes, there's kind of mutterings about like they'll be taken away, like probably be hanged, and you know, Dinar is just kind of like, okay, um, and yeah, I, not, I like not my deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, she doesn't have like vindictive, like she she's not trying to revenge, uh, like she's just trying to give through a better life and protect her. Yeah. And they also learn that the woman who traveled with the bandits, that the bandits killed her. Yeah. Um, who was Theru's mother. Or the the woman who gestated Theru, let's put it that yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that she was pregnant, too. So there's also this... Um, just looking at the cycle of abuse that and violence. Theru comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and through identifies the woman and she doesn't say like, she was my mother or anything. She just corrects. Yeah. She just says her name. She corrects Tanar when Tanar can't remember her name. Um, and Ged is there now and Ged and Tanar, um, like admit that they love each other and suddenly they're like romance blossoms yeah. like it's it's really beautiful and and this is the first time that Ged has been with a woman yeah there's there's this weird wizards have to be celibate yeah thing. we learned something that I don't think is mentioned at any other point no, in the prior book I was books. surprised about um, it yeah that wizards I think in addition to being celibate wizards don't experience arousal because when Moss is talking about or her, like she desire says, yeah, she says, like, of course they have, they, like, make illusions and try that. I'm like, what? What is that Like, mean? are they making holograms that they're trying to bang? <laughs> or, like, of their own body? You know what I'm saying? Okay. okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much farther we can discuss this. <laughs> this is a family-friendly program, but... It's getting, it's getting on shaky ground. It's confusing. Yeah. It's confusing. Um, yeah, so, but Ged and Tanar, like, find a, a really... And nice. I shouldn't have said it's the first time he's been with a woman. I should say it's the, his first sexual experience. Yeah, like yeah. ever. Yeah. Ever. Um, and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be heterosexual to be sex. That's why I, I shouldn't yeah. have put it that no, way. No, no, I, I get why uh, you bring that up. I appreciate it. Um, 
and so they're 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 having a a nice time like living together and through is there she's still like she's talking to Ged about like what to do with through Ged is still falling into some old um gender traps and paradigms and through is continually questioning them um there's a lot of discussion of gender paradigms that we've kind of glossed over, but we'll, well talk we're going to talk about, about it. it. Yeah. So this is a summary. And, <laughs> uh, okay. While get is there, then suddenly her son does come back. Spark. Um, spoiler. He sucks. He's a jerk. Um, he just comes back. He like, doesn't talk very much. He's just like, this is my farm. The yeah. King he finds took- out his dad died. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why are you here then? Cause this is mine. Yeah. Even hey. though like he's been a pirate for five years and no one knew if and he was alive or not. Yeah. If Tanar hadn't taken care of everything. So there is some friction between them. And he's also um, like, make my breakfast, wash my dish. And- no, I won't do it myself. Right. Like Tanar is like, wash wash your dish child and he's like (laughs) (laughs) i wish that were written down on the page (laughs) just that sound (laughs) (laughs) that's woman's work i'm gonna go talk to the field hands and he doesn't know anything about farming like he was a sailor very silly um and uh tenar is like no I'm done. And uh, she and Ged and through leave. They're going to go to Ogyans. They also get a message that Moss is oh, dying. That's the impetus yeah. Yeah. because Moss is near Ogyans mm-hmm. and uh, they get a message that she's dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then is it from that same like shifty messenger <laughs> keeps showing up throughout oh, the book? Yeah, Cause he is like one so, of Aspen's actually. henchmen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or am I making that up? I just love that there's like a messenger that, that delivers all the messages and is like very creepy. Kind of <laughs> and everyone's just like, what's up with that creepy message? Yeah, which is very Zelda. <laughs> totally. To bring totally. Zelda into this episode. It's <laughs> like Thank a you. weird guy showing up and you're like, what's your deal? And he's, I'm he's just, just like, here to deliver a hey, message. Uh, <laughs> go here, do this thing. Yeah. Can I buy some sheep? <laughs> <laughs> and, or goats, uh, I'm sorry. Can I buy some goats? The the most upsetting and brutal part of the book, um, well, I mean, I guess descriptions of what happened to Thru are also yeah. up there as like very the most upsetting. Um, when Tanar and Ged go back, they're immediately intercepted by... That's a trap. By Aspen. Yeah, he's... Uh, you find out from Thru going to visit Moss after Tanar and Ged have been captured by Aspen um, that Moss is under a curse. It's not a natural sickness. Um, and yeah, Aspen captures Ged and uh, Tanar. And we learn... We, we get an affirmation that Aspen has been helping the Lord steal his grandson's life force and is keeping Wowie. him alive that way. And he's going to use Ged and Tanar too for it, maybe. Or maybe he's just going to kill them. In, in, Some portrait of Dorian Gray type stuff. Yeah, like after thoroughly humiliating and brutalizing them, they beat Tanar. Um, like they put her in a dungeon. She's away from Ged. It's like she doesn't know what's happening. They're both under 
um, like spell paralysis. They've been cursed, coerced, and controlled. So like he makes them crawl. He makes Tanara crawl. Um, the next day, he takes them, Tanar and Ged, to uh, the cliffside where Ged first arrived and is like, we're going to make you fly, Hawk. So, like, he's just going to kill them. He's, like, calling Tanar really nasty things. And then um, Theru rolls up and... Uh, blossoms into her true power as like a, a dragon soul child and uh, she calls the dragon the dragon roars down and uh, just roasts <laughs> the the all the evil wizards that Aspen has been gathering like with him in order to retake like the dark power that Cobb was involved in. They're just <laughs> bones. I think that after they get toasted through is like they're bone people now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Because of her little bone toys. Yes. Yeah. Exceptional. And there's a character who does not speak much throughout the book. Yeah. But all of her lines are really good. Yes. Um, the dragon, Kalesin, is like, you know, child, do you want to come and live with your kind? Um, and he specifically, well, does does Kalesin even say, like, you're my daughter? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. He just says, like, is she... We didn't even talk about this. At the very beginning of the book, there's some backstory about how dragons and humans used to be the same race. Mm -hmm. And then they there's kind of a diaspora and dragons and humans grew apart because from humans being wanted to united. create structure yeah. and dragons wanted to remain free. Yes. And unfettered. Yeah. So there's this like humans and, and dragons come from the same bloodline. And uh, um it, it like through is is very powerful in that way and she uh, just her soul is much more connected to dragon kind and that's why we say like she is a dragon so Kalesin says to her it was well child i have sought thee long um so that's kind of the most explicit owning of her or like saying that she is his child. Yeah. 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 Or even just that she's like his heart child, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, Kalesin asks her like, do you, do you want to come with me and live with your own kind? And she kind of like looks around and she's like, no, nah, I got to stay with my people. And Kalesin is like, okay, I respect your decision. <laughs> um, and then the book ends. Kalesin also gives Theru her true name, which is Tahanu, which is the name of the star. Yeah, and uh, then it's evident that Tahanu is going to be uh, the next Archmage, and sh but she's going to be raised in a very special new tradition by both Tanar and Ged um, and like incorporate in Ogyan's teachings as well, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and there is... Like this book ends, despite how how brutal and dark it is. This book ends on an extremely hopeful note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they decide that they'll be taking uh, taking on Ogion's house. Yes, and it, they've left the farm to Spark. I'm sure that he will run into the ground yeah, in no time at all. <laughs> be a complete disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, and they and they uh, eat peaches. Summary. <laughs> 
That was a long one, but I'm I'm happy with it. We discussed a lot too. Yeah, I think that went very well. Yeah. Let's discuss our for me old and new impressions, and for Madeline, new impressions. Yeah. It's really hard for me that this book is in a series that is classified as YA. Yeah. But I'm also glad that this book is such an adult book. It's just hard because the themes are so grown. Like, you really, I don't think, and I'm only 33. I'm not saying like, well, I've lived my life. I'm full of wisdom now. Right. I don't think you have enough life experience yet as a young reader to fully understand and appreciate what Le Guin does with this book. Yeah. Um, because the book is about finding yourself in your middle age. And it's about looking back on the life, cho- the big life choices that you made and maybe having regrets about them and saying, wow, I thought that that, like you said, would show me my true purpose, but it actually didn't. And now I'm confused. And now I'm super confused. And there is a line at the end that really, really resonated with me. So this is when Tanar and Ged have become lovers and Tanar is looking back on her life and talking to Ged about his, and they're talking about freedom and like, what, what was our freedom? What is our freedom? What is Theroux's freedom? Like, who can she be? And Tanar says, you seemed in your power as free as man can be, but at what cost? What made you free? And I was made molded like clay by the will of the women serving the old powers or serving the men who made all the services and ways and places. I no longer know which. Then I went free with you for a moment and with Ogion. But it was not my freedom, only it gave me choice, and I chose. I chose to mold myself like clay to the use of a farm and a farmer and our children. I made myself a vessel. I know its shape, but not the clay. Life danced me. I know the dances but I don't know who the dancer is. I'm getting emotional reading it um, because there's so much to ponder about the hard pieces of your life that have made you who you are in some ways, but have also created these patterns that might not actually represent how you want to be and how you want to engage with people and live your life. And Tanar is... She has had children. She has had a marriage. She's also had magical instruction. She also grew up as a priestess in a terrifying labyrinth. Yeah. Um, She's had a lot of life experiences, but she has yet to be able to truly know who she is. And the most beautiful part of the book is that in the end, she does get that opportunity because she gets to have what she thought would be a fulfilling life, but she gets to have it with an equal partner. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets to be a teacher to a child who is going to go on to be Archmage. She's using the pieces of her magical education that resonated with her in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's also what's complicated about this book. And Madeline and I were talking about it before recording. We talked a lot about this book uh, pre-taping it because there was kind of a lot to think through and puzzle through. Mm -hmm. And part of this book's reception was that it was really polarizing. And a lot of people said, like we mentioned, Ursula discusses this herself in the afterword to the audiobooks. Um, But a lot of people felt that she was cramming feminism down people's throats or that Ged was mistreated by the narrative. And it's just so clearly the opposite. And I think as an adult reading it, I can see that. And I think it would be harder for young people to get there. And when I was young and read this book, I did enjoy it, but I didn't understand it. And that's not a surprise, you know? I think, too, coming at it as a young woman, I had a lot of internalized misogyny, and I did see domesticity and family life as as bad bad things that I did not want. And I saw women who wanted them as foolish um, or bad feminists. Mm. Um, and I've learned so much <laughs> and unlearned so much, um, in the, you know, God, I mean, almost 20 years since. Yeah. Um, and now I can see what, now I can see what a beautiful exploration of Tanar being able and allowed to live her life however she wants to, this book is. And, the men keep coming in and being like, why don't you want power? Why don't you want to be a mage or a sorcerer? And Tanar keeps saying, like she did in that passage I just read, like, it's my choice. My freedom is to live my life however I want to live it. And I think part of the reason that she's able to articulate this as so important is because she lost all control over her childhood. Mm -hmm. Like she had no agency at all and was designed to be a human sacrifice. Um, And I get all that now, but when I was young, I did not get it. And also a young reader reading about Theroux's abuse is really difficult. Um, She's very young in this book. I think at one point near the end, Tanara says that she's about eight, she thinks. Um, but but small and weak for her age. Yeah, so but but has a, more of an appearance of like smaller a, a five or six child, year old. right? Yeah. Um, and reading about or witnessing in any way a, a narrative of a child being abused is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also important to face because this story feels so realistic. Like that's what, when Tanara says like these things happen to women and children, you know, and Madeline was saying this, we were talking about this the other day. Um, there's so often people who aren't comfortable around someone who has suffered abuse, um, because they don't want to think about what happened to them. And again and again, throughout this book, people say, through like you you shouldn't have tried to save her like you shouldn't even be trying to heal her yeah. internally because and mentally be- like she's she's ruined yeah because as um 
Tanara comes to understand in the book, like people people don't see her when they look at her. They see the awfulness that was done to her, and it's there's an idea of like, well, if awful things happen to you, then you're bad. You're marked because yeah. you're bad. Yeah, there's a healthy dose of determinism throughout yes. the book um, of people saying, yeah, if you had a bad experience, that is a reflection on who you are as a person. And you if deserve you're it. Wealthy and successful, then that's because you're good, which is a really uh, rough and backwards way to think about things. It's extremely harmful. <laughs> and because. Le Guin's books um, are very rich with Taoist theories, hmm. um, which we talked about a bit in our, uh, I think in our Tombs about Tuan episode, probably in Brother Shore too. Yeah. They're very prominent. Um, but Taoism is about finding a balance. Um, and there are a few moments where like people say explicitly in this book, like, if you don't have the bad, you don't know the good. Mm. Um, like both must exist. You you can't just have one entity without its opposite. Um, and I think, you know, not that I'm saying that that means that the Rue should have been abused or anything like that, but people, the characters in the book can't handle like these more complex concepts, mm-hmm. a lot of them, yeah. who are very like just all power, I don't, all the men who completely disregard women and Tanar and Theru coming from a position of already being less than they even consider most women because Tanar is middle-aged and widowed and Theru is disfigured. Mm. Um, so they can't see their value as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, I'm kind of rambling. No, I but, but I mean everything you're saying is is valid. It's it's kind of I mean that's why you can spend so long. That's why we discussed this book for hours before we even started this podcast, which we never do because yeah. we want to save our observations for like actually going into the podcast, but we had to come to terms with a lot of this stuff first mm-hmm. to be able to like provide insightful commentary and there's there's just a lot to work through here. Yeah. Indeed. What what are your impressions, your new impressions? I loved this book. I actually found it to be super empowering. Um, I was very um, hurt and like, you know, this book's kind of triggering for Mm -hmm. anyone who's had like ever had any kind of bad relationship in their life Mm -hmm. where you're not treated as a a full human, especially in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Especially, you know, when it has to do with your, uh, woman-ness, like obviously the abuse comes in all shapes Mm -hmm. and sizes, but like that particular kind of like, uh, dismissive of women, Mm -hmm. you know, abuse. That was hard, but, like I just knew that um, it it was going to turn out that Theru was incredibly powerful, mm-hmm. and because the whole book you can kind of everything that Theru says, she says very little, um, and because she has a hard time with her voice because um, she breathed in flames, mm-hmm. um, but you can just tell that sh- that she's like 
percolating this enormous power yeah. within her. At one point, she tells Tanar, um, like, because Tanar's face gets red when she's upset, mm-hmm. and she kind of says that a little self-effacingly to Theru, and, like, Theru looks at her square in the eyes and says, you are a red dragon. Yeah. I was just like, yes! Like, she's, she's not only coming to terms with her own power within mm-hmm. herself, she's seeing it in other people yeah. as well. It, yeah. the, the people who don't feel like they have a lot of agency because they are women and they've been Mm -hmm. relegated to women's roles and like have tried to fit into that to see if it's good and right and are still struggling with it like Tanar is. Um, And it's, I I just love Theru so much. Like it made me think a lot about my little sister um, because she is six. So she has like that little tiny kid body. She's, she's real wiry and she's so lovely. And there is one point um, when Tanara was like, she was thinking about something and she curled into Theru's, um, soft and uh, sweet warmth. Uh, and that really made me think of Issa cause she's very snuggly and Definitely. I love the way she smells. Like it just lights up all the happy <laughs> chemicals in my brain, like protect baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, and something, um, so through also keeps asking Tanar about the story that she tells her near the beginning of the book, um, which is about how dragons and people diverged. Yes. Um, and how they were once one. So we also get echoes of that throughout the, the tale. Yeah. And you can tell that like through says to Ged when Ged mm-hmm. pops back up, like she's really, um, happy and you can tell that she's onto something when she's like, I know the tale, you know, the, the first right. tale, I know the tale of the beginning yeah. um, because she's getting in touch with her inner dragon yeah. soul. <laughs> it's just so cool. I, I felt again, extremely empowered by um, both Tanar and Tahanu's or Theru's stories. I, yeah, I cried when I finished it and I've, I've like felt a lot of emotions, but in the end, I, I find this book to be extremely valuable and rewarding. I agree. I feel, I feel like I'm inarticulate even trying to talk about it or like I know. voicing <laughs> hard. my uh, old and new impressions um, because there's so much that I have to say that I'm getting kind of, I'm just kind of stumbling, but Here's something that I do definitely want to talk more about right now, and I can do it, (laughs) is the way femininity and women's roles and women's work are discussed throughout the book. Mm. And it's not just that women's domesticity is looked down on by society, although it is absolutely needed by everyone. People crave the emotional work, emotional labor, and physical labor inherent in these tasks, but then also disregard it and disdain it and refuse to engage in it. Mm -hmm. The men do. Um, But women who also take on the more masculine role of being a sorcerer, a mage, a witch, I mean, the witches are the female version of those professions yeah it's Um, like women are not allowed to be wizards in the old hierarchy mm -hmm. but the women who are witches are also like denigrated by society um and there's a phrase that has been in other earth sea books um 
weak as women's magic, wicked as women's magic. So it's not only not powerful, it's also evil. And funnily enough, we don't see a single instance of a woman doing anything bad with magic throughout this book. Lots of instances of men doing bad things with magic. Horrifying things, not not just evil, but cruel and like no and and doing horrifying things without magic as well yeah um and i i think this is something that i was trying to yeah get at and talking about my old new impressions too like it used to be really hard for me to understand the the way that I've been shaped by or that I was shaped by society to view women's work and women's roles versus men's work and men's roles. And I think when I was younger too, I liked fantasy the most that put women into traditional men's roles. And I think something that is really exceptional about this book is that the women are in these women's roles, but they're just the most fascinating, compelling, powerful characters, and they don't need magic to be that way or to do so, and they don't need to be quote unquote masculine. Mm-hmm. And I think this is then I also feel complicated about like breaking everything down into the gender binary and saying mm-hmm. women's roles versus men's roles. But I think in paying this type of attention to the value of this typically. Um, undervalued work, mm-hmm. women's work, women's wizardry, women's magic. Um, we are beginning to f- break down some of those just barriers that are in place between the two and the delineation between the female and the male in general, and not I, just in fiction and in fantasy. Right. And I, for one, I appreciated it when Tanar, she either said or thought at some point, like, are, are these just arbitrary delineations? Mm-hmm. And like, why do we create these power structures? Why can't we all just like share in all of the work and power mm-hmm. together as humans? Mm-hmm. Um, like, why are things this way? Which I really appreciated because mm-hmm. that is like, it's stepping outside a gender binary to just be like, mm-hmm humans yeah (laughs) you know like all humans um well exactly and and there's something fascinating that the witch moss says um when she's talking to tanar and this is after ged comes and is ill and tanar is nursing him and she's starting to parse out some of her own complicated feelings surrounding ged Mm um and she's asking tanar or sorry tanar is talking to moss about like what women can do and what men can do and how to see power in someone and you know specifically like wizardry Mm. wizarding power or potential because she's thinking about her own self too Mm -hmm. and moss has um a metaphor for women and a metaphor for men and she says men are like a walnut and everything that is them is contained within the walnut. She says the man meat. <laughs> Which is, yeah, Moss is hilarious. Moss is amazing. <laughs> um, and it's all within that shell. And it's the same with a wizard. But instead of it just being man inside, it's just power inside. Which mm-hmm. is also an interesting foreshadowing about wizards being celibate, I think. Oh, um, okay. And then she says, women have roots, and they go deep. She has a full like Galadriel and Fellowship moment. Or, like, yeah. 
what did she say? Stronger than the foundations <laughs> of the earth. Like it gave me very much that vibes. But I, this came way before that, so maybe, maybe they took. Uh, no, no, no way. I, I think that scene is actually straight from Tolkien's writing. Um, I can't remember. Moss says. Listen, mistress, I have roots. I have roots deeper than this island, deeper than the sea, older than the raising of the lands. I go back into the dark. Moss's eyes shone with a weird brightness in her red <laughs> rims and her voice sang like an instrument. I go back into the dark. Before the moon I was. No one knows. No one knows. No one can say what I am, what a woman is, a woman of power, a woman's power, deeper than the roots of trees, deeper than the roots of islands, older than the making older than the moon who dares ask questions of the dark who will ask the dark its name and then Tanar has a great reply where she says i will i will i lived long enough in yeah the dark. um because <laughs> i will engage was her entire childhood yeah and that's yeah that's why she can go about asking these questions yeah it, yeah i keep thinking about um my favorite quote from the tombs of atuan um when Tanar is experiencing uh, the sea for the first time and it's i mean it's really the first time she's like been out of the um i don't know i mean it's just a cult i don't know what their building is called yeah, you know it's so like know. a church <laughs> the building it's the scary building yeah. that she had to grow up <laughs> yeah exactly um and she says living being in the world was a much greater thing than she had ever dreamed and i think about how broad her experiences have been mm. um, from these like great grand sweeping moments of like bringing the ring of Arathakbi and creating the rune of peace um, to being alone in the dark with no, no one yeah. um, to going on to try to be a wife and mom, but never gaining any like never gaining respect from others nor like greater understanding of herself through yeah. that process um because her husband's never in the book because like madeline mentioned he dies before the book begins mm -hmm. um and the only mentions we get from her of her husband are how like he filled his stereotypical role and she filled hers and he and other men saw her as like okay good wife like she's doing the work she's giving you kids mm -hmm. she's taking care of things like she's not cr creating waves right um and we get through that a lot of hints of how unequal things were in their marriage mm -hmm. in terms of Tanar doing all of the emotional and domestic labor yeah. And then when her son comes back, we see we see it for ourselves because we see how disrespectful he is to her. He has no appreciation for the fact that she not only was doing the domestic and emotional work all the years he was gone, but now since her husband died, she has kept the farm running. So now she's done both the man's stereotypical role and the woman's stereotypical role. And he still doesn't see her as valuable. Yep. I'm getting worked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, this book was really frustrating. Like at times I, I got so mad and hurt. I wanted to go punch people. I wanted to go punch the patriarchy. Well, and that's, yeah. And I think that's what Le Guin is showing us throughout. Like Tanar does it all and she's still not being respected yeah, at large. Exactly. There if was, you do things for other people in order to try to fulfill other people's expectations of you, you will 
always come up short. You have to do the things for yourself. And I think this is where Tanar in the end gains a lot of her fulfillment because in the end with Ged, she has an equal partner. And there's an emphasis throughout the book on how both Ged and Ogion do women's work mm-hmm. because they, well, they're also like complicated in terms of even talking about them having masculine or feminine roles because mm-hmm. we I think it's fascinating that the wizards are like celibate and, and also like we mentioned can't be aroused. Like they're not sexual beings. Right. Yeah. Um, so that takes away some of their, yeah, it takes away their sexuality. So then that kind of complicates who they are. Right. Um, in terms of their gender roles and gender and sex are different, but there's a connection there in terms of the way the wizards are like viewed and talked about. And like your societal expectations. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because Ged and Ogeon do that domestic labor. They also see Tanar as more of an equal and they're also more like helpful Mm. for her. And the thing is, this sounds like I'm putting a lot of emphasis on like who does the dishes, but Who does the dishes goes so much deeper than just that small act. It's about having an equal partnership with the person Mm -hmm. that you uh, live your life with. Um, And domestic labor being just as valid as other kinds of work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, And then the emotional labor as well, which is a separate component. But people ask so much of Tanar throughout the book um, and... I think when I was the most frustrated with Ged was when he was like being very quiet um, and not really telling her anything about what has been going on or like what's happening with him. But she's still expected to just like take care of him and keep him safe and like get him away from, you know, the king's men when they come looking for him and stuff. Um, It's like, yeah, do do all the work, get none of the greater understanding. Like, I don't it doesn't matter if you know what's happening, but you still have to, like, do the labor on my behalf. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's as a as a funny aside, this is much sillier than anything we're talking about. There's there's a scene in Bob's Burgers where I can't remember who Linda is talking about, but she's like, he's keeping all his feelings bottled up inside of like a big dumb man. (laughs) And I just felt that like, again, it's it's not anything about like the organic way in which people desire to be or like would be most free being it's about the constraints that like the societal constructs put us into right we're not i'm also not gonna not all men myself but (laughs) like that should be obvious obviously yeah obviously (laughs) we're not saying like man bad yeah we're saying patriarchal structure is bad and that's that's, what feminism is about (laughs) thank you um and that is and something that so many people don't get and that's why this book had such a weird reception and i was fascinated to find that i went on tour.com because i saw there was a piece um i'm not even gonna say like who wrote it or the name of it or anything i'm not gonna link to it yeah Um, i don't want to like called someone out yeah i'm not not all bad no i think there are valuable things in the piece it's it's an author's um an author is writing about her experience with the book both when she was younger and now that she has had kids so she also Mm -hmm. talks about like how she can appreciate the um the anger of motherhood that uh tanar experiences that i think 
a lot of women experience mm. um, and like reasons why we both have complicated feelings about having kids. Yeah. Um, but she also says that, I mean, I guess it'll be easy for you guys to find this. Like you have to <laughs> Google Tor and Tahanu. Now you're telling them how. <laughs> <laughs> but she says that she finds it a super problematic book and that she feels that the narrative is actually driven by the men rather than by the women, which I disagree with. I couldn't disagree more um, with that. And then the con- For all of the reasons we've just explained. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm not even really going to go into it. Yeah, <laughs> why? Yeah. We've already been talking about it. And I really do think that Tanar and her decision making is the impetus for the plot beats. Um I she mean, drives the plot. Yeah, she does. And like, yeah, the creepy messenger shows up and is like, come do this. Come do this. <laughs> He's he's just a you know he's just a and messenger. yes there are evil wizards that are doing evil things but those aren't those are by far the most important parts of the book and in fact I was thinking about this Aspen gets so little page time yep. and which I love if you compare it to something like Farthest Shore where we also have an evil wizard you know doing evil things in the background. Um, he, you know, Cobb is a much more present character um, than someone like Aspen is. And it's kind of like, it's like, hey, this was also going on. I was sapping the life of this um, Lord's grandson to keep him alive. But like, I think it's telling that that's not something that we ever really talk about in the rest of the book. Because like, wouldn't it be more central if Tanar also had something to do with that, you know, or like that was something that she had learned of and had, I I don't know, any kind of agency. And it's just like, yeah, we were also doing this dumb crap off on the side while you are going through a, an incredible midlife coming of age Mm -hmm. and, Tahanu Theru is becoming her full dragon child self. Like I just, okay. Yeah. So I just agree with that. And then the comments, I was just really surprised to see how negative people were about this book. Um, (laughs) Not all, but a lot of them, people were just saying that they actually like hate this book. Um, And it, and this is from 10 years ago, this article and the book came out in 1990. So Ursula Le Guin says in her, the year Madeline was born, the year (laughs) of our Madeline. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And to the sky. (laughs) Praise be. Um, In the afterword to Tahani that we have mentioned, Ursula Le Guin says, when I started this series, people weren't, they didn't take too much issue with the fact that I upended the racist tradition of a white man being Mm. the hero of a fantasy story. um, Because, Get is not white, and it's that's very. It's not something that like you can easily forget. To like his race is a part of him yeah. throughout the series, and she mentions it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and everyone's race. Yeah, um, it's not like yeah, Get is the one brown guy, and no. we're going to talk about it endlessly. Um, Tanara is unique because because her she, skin is light, right? Because she is white. Because yeah. she's from uh, she's a foreigner. Yeah, she's land. from a more like Nordic place. Yeah. Yeah, she's Karkish, not Gauntish. And so Ursula Le Guin said, yeah, people weren't like too upset with that. But then when I made a woman the main character and made her be in this traditional feminine role, Mm -hmm. um, this traditional like mother, wife, 
farm keeper role, people were mad. And they feel like it's, it's, my sense is that people both felt that it was too feminist, but then also like not feminist enough. Yeah, because she was like in a domestic Because she's sphere. not, as in so many of the books you've read, which I also think are really valuable. Like I said earlier, the women are taking on the traditional male fantasy role where they're like taking up the sword and sure. leading the charge yeah, and slaying the books. dragon. Yeah. Those also have really valuable things to discuss. And we have we have discussed them. Check out our catalog. <laughs> um Books, I'm thinking specifically of The Hero and the Crown. I'm thinking of the Alana series by yeah. Tamara Pierce yeah. um, and so many others. Uh, but that's easier for people to manage than a woman getting paid attention to for doing what they see as non-valuable work. Woman's work. Yeah, and it like exactly, right? Like woman's work so for yes. people to say that really makes me kind of scratch my head and be like did you read the book <laughs> yeah and in the piece they also said that they thought it was like a kind of deus ex machina that Kalesin shows up and through just calls him and, and as you very eloquently pointed out there's so much foreshadowing there's throughout the book very strong that she line. has a dragon connection of some kind yeah like at the very beginning of the book they set up they're like dragons and humans are descended from the same like yeah. you know all well right and this time rereading it as soon as that story started I was like oh yeah this is is, this is the important part of the book. Yeah. You know how when so, there's like a tale that someone begins telling in a fantasy story. Sometimes it's just like a fun little story to right. entertain someone. Yeah. And then you get to one and you're like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Like, okay. This is important. Okay. Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not great with audiobooks, but I tried this one um, because uh, the narrator was so great. The audiobook yeah, I liked the narrator is narrated one. by... Jenny Sterlin. Um, and uh, I kept having to rewind during that part because I was like, I need to retain every word. I rewound during that part like 12 times. Like, kept going back and be like, wait, 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 okay. <laughs> and dragons wanted to be wild. And I literally wanted to build things. There's a little note in my journal that there's a word that says people, and then there's two arrows, and one points humans and dragons. <laughs> I mean, if you need a diagram, why not? Yeah, I did Keep go to law straight. school. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, we've probably talked about this long enough. But anyway, those are my feelings on why men are bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what we want you to take away. <laughs> jokes, jokes, jokes. Um, but I think if this book came out today, it would be received differently. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And like we mentioned, a lot of people complained that it was different from the other Earthsea books. But if you go back and look at the other Earthsea books, I actually don't think it is very different in that it's doing its own thing. Yeah, because all of the books are, are very distinct from each other. A Wizard of Earthsea is probably the most traditional fantasy book because it's about Ged's magical... Um, I wanted to say magical tuition, but it's about um, Ged's magical education. Yeah, and exploration. And then Tombs of Atuan, a lot of it is very internal because we have Tanar as a child alone in the dark exploring deadly labyrinths and being trained to enter into this patriarchal cult. Um, 
And then at the very end, escaping with Ged. Mm-hmm. The farthest shore is just like straight up a book about depression. Um, yeah, I thought that book was the toughest. It's a hard book <laughs> out of this. The, these ones we've agree, read. and is about and the, the farthest shore sets up the entirety of this book. So if you're paying attention, you know what to expect because the farthest shore is about Ged saying, "Actually, I I'm choosing to let go of my magic so that I I can live and we can all live." Because yeah, he makes that decision. It's necessary for him to do that in order for them to seal the hole that Cobb made between the world of living and dead and, mm-hmm. and some other stuff. It's yeah. complicated, but, <laughs> but he chooses to do that. And yeah, now he's dealing with the ramifications of it, but we, we already see and know why that's important. And we see why it's important to turn to being a human and looking at your internal self rather than trying to exert power over others, mm-hmm. which is what this book is about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm very worked up. <laughs> This, I think this is good. This is our most like literary dissection yes. yet, I think. Yes. Uh, and the last, uh, so let's, let's do a, Grace is done. Let's do a segment that we don't do every episode, um, but when necessary, and it is romantic realism. Mm -hmm. And it is about whether the central romantic relationship in a fantasy novel makes sense or whether it's like a hot prince and a dragon meet each other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know what Grace wants in a fantasy (laughs) book. I want princes and dragons to fall in love, okay? No, I'm just just trying to come up with a funny example. But, you know, just like the stereotypical, like, prince and princess, it makes sense. One of them saved the other. Right, Now they're in love. Like, perhaps we have all read an article about how the relationship in The Little Mermaid is doomed because of the massive cultural and class differences between Eric and Ariel. (laughs) I have. (laughs) Yeah, what a disaster. I mean, starting with the fact that he literally doesn't hear her voice. Yeah. Um, not, not a big fan of Eric. Well, he's trying. <laughs> Eric Defender. He, he plays okay. a recorder. He does play a recorder. <laughs> he really does. And, you know, you gotta love him for that. And he has a huge dog. So that's true. He's a big shaggy that's dog. That's another that Probably smells abysmal because it lives on a ship. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Anyway. <sighs> I love, love the relationship between Ged and Tanar. It is so beautiful. And through their love for one another, they heal one another and themselves. And they find each other decades after they like did their journey together and like after they've lived through so much of like their own very unique experiences. And then, like, they had their own significant losses. Right. So, like, they grow into a place where they work really well together. I've, I loved their romance. I, I, yeah, I thought it was like so special and beautiful. Like, it was so natural, too. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like, even though they had never been romantic before. And Tanara says earlier in the book, she touches. Ged, after when he's healing, I think she she kisses him. She kisses on the his cheek. cheek, and yeah. then she can like feel his cheek on her lips, yeah. and she's saying, 
wow, I don't think I've ever touched him in like any kind of affectionate way Mm -hmm. before. Like, I wonder why that is. And then when Moss says to her, like, well, he's basically a boy of 15 in alluding to the wizard's business, whatever it is. I'm I'm getting less and less able to talk about it. (laughs) Sexual experience is no indicator of maturity or like any other things about you. No, of course. And and Moss Moss thinks that way. Yeah, Moss thinks that way. (laughs) Um, No, I'm not saying that I think that at all. And Ursula K. Le Guin doesn't either. She says in that afterward, like, I don't agree with Moss on many things, which I also really appreciate. Yeah, I love that in her afterward, she makes it very clear that the way she writes, as so many really amazing fantasy writers do they they're just like putting down on paper what the characters are already doing if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and she sees the characters as their own agents and she's not like making them who they are they are who they are and she said that's why it took her so long to write the next earthsea book because she knew what Tanar's life was going to be like, but she didn't know why. And she knew what Theroux's past had been like, but she didn't know why. Mm. And she says in the afterward that once Theroux and Tanar came together, then the story was written. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it's 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 a really beautiful relationship and one that I um, I just appreciate so much. And there's such equals in every way. And it's not just I know we talked for like an hour about <laughs> domestic labor, <laughs> but it's not just the domestic labor. <laughs> I also love that Ged is clearly a father to Theru. And, and she loves and uh, she like, adores him. She's not afraid of him. And no. usually she like doesn't want to be around any men. Right? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. She we haven't talked a lot about how Theroux specifically changes throughout the book, but she's typically really uncomfortable around people. And every time she sees Handy, who keeps popping up throughout Just, the uh, book, ha- you know, give a nice dose of re-traumatization as one does. I was shouting out loud while reading at one point, this effing guy. <laughs> so it was so upset. And his name was like Andy. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Just every time you've like been a woman walking alone at night and you've been scared or you've been, I don't know. We've all had different experiences. Um, but every time I've felt unsafe, it just, it all came flooding back reading about him appearing. And like that anger too about like, how how dare you hold this power over me? Like by yeah. creating my my fear. And exactly. Why and do you, we let them make us fear? And like, make us victims. And like, yeah. that's, that's the most complicated part when... Uh, I'm quoting from the book. Why do we let them make us fear? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I am... Uh, talking about personal experience now, but it's so complicated unpacking any kind of assault that you've experienced because you, I resent being made to feel like a victim. Mm -hmm. I resent being put into that role. Like you force your aggression upon me and that's, I think it, it's just really, really clear in the, that character. Um, and Theroux is really impressive because she manages to regain her 
actual sense of self She's again and again and again. She's such an incredibly resilient person. I can't believe that she has to endure him touching her yeah. again. I, um, I like almost yelled when he touched her. I was so upset. It is deeply upsetting and just revolting. Um, and again, it, it made me think of Issa and like mm-hmm. how how like just in a blind rage I would be if, if someone were to like seriously hurt her, you know, or lay a finger on her. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I don't know. I also was thinking about, um, there is just a, I don't know. I don't even want to call it maternal, but there is a parental sort of fury that arises and but I feel this for like all children not just a child that I desire connection that like deep down to like nurture and protect yeah because it's a very basic biological impulse right you know ensure that the the progeny continues the species existence but but it Luckily, since we are more complex creatures than our base biological impulses, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot to explore there. Definitely. Yeah. I think, and again, I'm only 33, but at my age, I'm still, and I don't have kids, but I've still had moments where I've like really surprised myself in seeing what my instinctual reaction has been to a situation where a small child has been in any kind of danger or yeah. like under any kind of threat. Yeah. Um, even if it's a child I do not know and mm-hmm. have no connection to, I've done like weird things. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, why did you just grab that baby that was falling out of that <laughs> stroller? <laughs> Protect like, baby. Yeah. You just, you just, you don't even think it's just it springs into action. And the fear piece is something that Tanar is also trying to, she's working so hard to regain and that's why she doesn't latch her doors. And that's why at the end, after they have been attacked in their home, which like what more frightening experience is there yeah. than a home invasion? The, yeah, the destruction. Of, Especially of when your it's not even faceless. Space. You already know how bad these people are. Exactly. It's not it's like not it anonymous. A, They've been hunting you. Yeah. Like they're being hunted throughout the book, Tanar and Theroux. That night she very resolutely as she goes to start latching the the bolts, and then she says no, I would do this because they would make me do this. And I don't need to latch the bolts. I'm on my farm. I need to believe that I'm safe in order to be able to move forward. And that was another huge thing about this book that we haven't even discussed. (laughs) It reminded me of Ronia, the robber's daughter, the last book that we covered, where Ronia says that in order to be in the wood, you can't be afraid. So she works on, yeah, facing all of the potential dangers by like throwing herself straight into them. And obviously this is a more like careful guarded approach, but uh, I appreciated that too. And that goes back to the like victimhood, Mm -hmm. the mentality that you're forced into if you are attacked, assaulted, um, or abused in any way, Mm -hmm. physical or emotional. Um, You need to be able to, well, I don't even want to say you need to, but for me, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of personal work to be able to say it's like that. It's very cyclical where you have to like feel safe in order to be able to be safe. Yeah. And that's really difficult. That's really, really difficult. But I see how hard Tanara works to achieve that for both herself and through. Even, yeah, and from a much, you know, this is a way to make this more intense and, you know, fantasy scenario 
relatable. Like I, my, my partner is gone this weekend. He's been visiting his family because he hasn't seen them in over a year um, in California. And we're like doing the whole quarantining thing and everything, of course. But it's been really hard because like I've been checking the locks so much when I'm home alone. And last night I was like double checking the lock and I kind of stopped and I was like, pig always barks if someone were to come to the door. Pig is Madeline's dog. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't have a pig that I call pig (laughs) (laughs) that barks. She's um, she's an excellent alerter mm-hmm. where when anyone approaches the house. So it just, you know. I've it, seen I it had, myself many times. Yeah. I ha- Grace's hair. Grace's hair. <laughs> yes. Well, her bark when it's someone she's yeah. excited to see is For like sure. a puppy bark yeah. versus anyone else. Like mm-hmm. a stranger is woo, 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 woo. Like, go away. <laughs> and, you know, that just, that I really feel it. Like, I didn't want to feel like I was afraid and scared in my own house and, like, you know, triple checking the locks and everything and just reminding myself, like, I'm safe, like, nothing's going to happen, and even if it were, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's hard. Pretend food? (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, us talking a lot about this book before we recorded led to us having more to say about it i know yeah i know yeah wow uh ursula caleguin i i feel her absence on a regular basis and i just i feel true love for her i know that sounds ridiculous and i'm not talking about like a parasocial relationship i I feel deep affection for her and her work and her wisdom now for something a little different, let's talk about some fantasy victuals. Peaches! <laughs> the peaches! <laughs> the entire peach tree process, the peach experience, um, is metaphor. such a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And the thing is that the peach pit that threw plants dies. It doesn't grow, but... Because no one watered it. Yeah, no <laughs> it had one, to run away. No taking care of the farm. <laughs> um, it's, like, also been cursed. Yeah. So that's probably not a great environment for young peach trees. <laughs> <laughs> but she When there's, like, her. wizards skulking around. Yeah, but she's just like, it's okay, you know, we'll, we'll plant another one. She says, yep. Does the does the other peach tree have peaches? And Thoreau says, yep. And Tanara says, well, we'll plant another one. Um, and also the experience of them eating the peaches is really nice. I mean, a fresh peach right off the tree. Warm from the sun. I think reading James and the Giant Peach many times at a young age has made me particularly particularly impressionable to literary descriptions of peach eating. And peaches are just like, they're, they're such an appealing food item. Like truly, they do feel pretty special, especially when you get one that's like nice and ripe and yeah. juicy. It's just and perfect. They're, they're so delicious. I do have to say for textural reasons, I do prefer nectarines. nectarines. <laughs> uh, me as well, to be honest. Yeah. But that is not to discount the noble peach. So Yeah, I, I can do peaches. Yeah, for sure. Especially if it's cut up. So you're not having to bite into to like get the all fuzzy that, like, skin. <laughs> the fuzz. I just, I don't know. Let us know. Do you, Does anyone like the texture of peach skin? Have we considered? Is that pleasant? Shaving them. 
sir, do you shave the peaches here at this fine establishment? I, like, I prefer oh my god, peach. go get nectarines, get away from me. <laughs> Get away from me is the only appropriate response to that question. Oh boy. There is the important walnut full of man meat from Moss's metaphor. Um, I did, yeah, I did weirdly want to like get some full walnuts and like crack them. The One of the houses we lived in when we were kids had a walnut tree. Um, and, and a couple times we gathered up the walnuts. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we, we always gather them and dried them. It just depended what we did with them then. Yeah. Um, sometimes they just got left in the garage <laughs> for a little while. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bountiful harvest ever. But um, one, one but year the we process, made walnut cookies. Yeah. We made the most incredible yeah. walnut cookies with them um, that were so thin and crisp, but then you have these, delectable homegrown walnut chunks Mm -hmm. uh really really exceptional um but as anyone who has harvested walnuts before knows they will stain everything they touch for the rest of your life so and your your hands after you peel them everything will be splotched brown like Mm -hmm. it looks like you like dunked them in henna or something for like a week yeah it's pretty uh it's a very strong mark of the walnut yeah (laughs) with you Okay, something I found very exciting is that frogs' legs made an appearance in this book. There was a pile of, like, frogs' legs. Incredible setting. When the king's messengers come (laughs) in to uh, try to find Ged, they find Theru hiding in a corner, Heather, who is a girl or, like, young woman who lives in the town um, and has some, like, cognitive... Yeah, I think that she's impaired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But who is Theru's friend and, like, takes her out to, yeah, gather different things and play and things like that. I really love her and Theru's friendship. It's, like, it's so valuable to for people who are different to have other friends who are different as well, you know? Yeah, for Theru to have both Heather and Moss... Um, and be able to uh, like regain some of herself with yeah. both of them. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, and then Tanar with a pile of dead frogs next to her and their legs <laughs> spread out in front of her. Um, and that's another moment where Tanar in the narration says like she knew at once how they saw her and what she looked like to the witch um and but then she also leans into the like just a domestic lady i wouldn't know where a wizard would be don't talk to me (laughs) it only works for a little while (laughs) but uh we had frog's legs in a recent book that we covered the great good thing by roderick townley from a few episodes back and a listener let us know on Instagram because we were saying, are frog legs still eaten? Like, what cuisines are they Did we talk in? about Red Lobster? You talked about Red Lobster. <laughs> I talked about um, Red Lobster. I'm not taking ownership of that. <laughs> a listener reached out on Instagram and let us know that frog legs are rather common in South China and Southeast Asian cuisine and said they are a personal favorite. Um, Did they so say how they're cooked or anything no i'll have to look it up yeah i'm curious um so thank you for letting us know yeah we have some frog leg ignorance definitely um and i love that they showed up again because now they're like on my mind yeah and yeah (laughs) and uh they have uh bread and cheese and frog's legs as a little feast after the 
totally bizarre experience of the king's messengers coming in and trying to like be very formal with them and they're all just like what's happening the soldiers and ged and tanara also drink a very fancy wine oh yeah Um, the year of the dragon yes um that sounds pretty incredible and tanara is like kind of a boast like serves it to the messengers she feels proud of it yeah Yeah, she does but she's also she's also like showing a kind of complicated self but she's also like feigning ignorance in the wine and is like i don't know somebody gave it to ogion people were always giving him stuff Mm -hmm. um because we also we also this is pretend food relevant learn that he just subsisted off of like gifts from people but he also grew he had a small garden and grew onions and he had goats so he had dairy from them um so, yeah, he was, like, pretty self-sustaining. But I also love that it was just like, yeah, if you're a wizard, people will just feed you. Don't worry about it. It's it's kind of like being a priest, I feel like. Totally. Yeah. yeah totally. Where it's like, you're providing a service. Yeah, so we'll, and we'll so take care of you we'll, as part of the community. Help you. Yeah, when Ged first drinks the wine, he's, like, very casually, like, well, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. And yeah. there, there is no equal. Yeah. And everyone who drinks it has a similar reaction. The King's Messages too are like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> this is wow. very good. It's <laughs> like casual glass of wine. Yeah. And offered is blowing my mind. Yeah. I bet Which it tasted, is a flex, you know? I bet it tasted like, um, Malik. Oh, um, Malak, right? Malak from... We're talking about the beverage Hero from the Crown. Hero in the Crown yeah. um, and the Blue Sword, which uh, seems like some sort which of... Which Robin McKinley described as like coffee chocolate. Oh, I thought it had to do with... Okay, okay. I thought it was wine. Maybe also wine? I don't know. It seems like a lot of things. Malak is all of us. Yeah. It's like mole maybe, where it's like very... Although Malak is a like a hot beverage. drink. Yeah. Yeah, not a sauce. Okay. Anyway. Maybe it's fermented chocolate. I shall look into it, along with the frog's legs. <laughs> um, and there's lots of cheeses, cheese making. They have their own dairy at Oak Farm. Um, so, you know, lots of lots of good fantasy bread and cheese, which yeah. we, we all deserve. Which I do love. <laughs> and I've come to appreciate. Also, on the ship, they get some nice little feasts. Um, shortbread, very rich, not sweet. Green and amber grapes. Um, some less good wine. <laughs> She tastes the wine and says, it's very good, but not the dragon year. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, if the way she throws around that bottle of wine. If the dragon year is the best wine ever, then yeah. No, it's great. I love it. Um, okay. And, and then I also, to close out pretend food, because we, yeah, we have to end this at some point someday. Um, when... Tanar goes back to her farm and she meets up with her daughter, who we haven't mentioned. I feel bad. Apple. Hi, Apple. <laughs> um, who is also a lovely character. Uh, and Lark. And they go back to her house and Lark is trying to put together some food for them all to eat. And she uh, looks in the flour and says, I'd have thought this would be weevly by now, but it's perfectly good. I'll bake up a bannock or two. <laughs> uh, what is a bannock? <laughs> Do you know? No, I don't. It is a fried dough food, according to Google. Dope. Um, yeah, a type of bread made with wheat flour, shaped into round, flat cakes, and fried or baked. So I think it's just like a a biscuit, generally like an unleavened sort of 
flatbread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I hate it when my flour gets weevily and I don't know how hers in an open farm for months managed to be fine. And mine in my pantry in an apartment gets the weevils. I've never had flower weevils. You may have, and you just didn't notice them. So I hate them. Is that what you're insinuating? Yes. <laughs> they're very small <laughs> and they're kind of, uh, they're like a, they're brown, but kind of translucent so you have to like look at the flower and see is my flower moving and that's how you know if you have them or not i don't want to talk about weevils anymore <laughs> weevil corner Yikes. moving on <laughs> and yeah that, that'll we'll close out pretend food with some weevils gross <laughs> so uh, let's let's do our badass lady meter there are lots of ladies lots of badasses Oh, my baddest lady is going to have to be Thoreau or Tehanu. Um, that's the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the name of the book. Um, uh, I just love her. I, I rate her a beautiful red dress made in the image of a red dragon. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> And I'll I'll pick Tanar. You be you be baby, and I'll be mama. <laughs> um, I just love Tanar so much, yeah. and to get to see her journey from the tombs of Atuan to her farm to Ogion's house. Um, I also I forgot to mention I did want to say that Ursula Le Guin specifically wanted to make this a feminist book because she felt that her other Earthsea books were not feminist, mm. um, at least not explicitly so. And she wanted the main character to be a woman and the narrative to truly concern her. We believe that she achieved that goal. Yes. And Tanar, a.k.a. the Eaten One... <laughs> Crazy name. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Um, yeah, I can't remember her uh, non-true name. Aha. Aha, uh -huh, thank you. Aha. Uh -huh. And she, I mean, you know she's a badass from the start because everyone's like, wow, not a lot of people just throw their true name out there like this. Yep, Most people exactly. guard them and don't really tell them to people. And Tanar, even though she is Gohar as the farmer's wife, mm -hmm. um, I love that she kind of sheds that too. But she's also not like self-important about it or about who she is at all. Like it, she's just one of those characters. I love this type of character where it's like, um, yeah, I'm actually like one of the most important people in this entire archipelago. But like, you don't need to know that. I'm going to go weed the onions yeah. and uh, feed the goats. Split the reeds. Yeah, split, split some reeds, make some baskets. My rating for Tanar is a case of wine from the dragon years. Yes. <laughs> so she can flex on everybody. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I think we've come to the end. So, wow, thank you, everyone, um, for sticking with us to this point. If you have, if you haven't, I understand, but you won't know. And again, thank you to the listeners who encouraged us to continue the Earthsea series. I think 
the next Earthsea book that we'll cover is going to need to be a Wizard of Earthsea. I think it'll be interesting to go back to the start, especially after this. I agree. Um, so that, that won't happen next, but that will happen at some point in the future. The next book we're going to cover will be Pet by Ikweke Emizi. Um, we are covering some contemporary YA novels that we haven't read before that are by Black authors, um, and we're excited. Yeah. So come back. Listen, it won't be as long as this one, probably. (laughs) And know that we appreciate you. If you'd like to see uh, media related to this episode and others, you can visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, or on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.